Hey, what up, Q? What up, Radio World? My name is Quincy. And this is my show, the Talk to Q Radio Show. It's almost like posting a blog, except I'm doing it live. What's going on, people? All right. I want to welcome all of you to another special Q on One podcast edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And without further ado, I will go ahead and get to my guest. I want to welcome on the author of the Rude Boy USA series that debuted in December of last year. Born in Illinois, the land of Lincoln, but now residing in the Empire State of New York, please welcome Miss Victoria Bolton to the Talk to Q Radio Show. Hi. How are you? How's it going? Everything's all right. All right, let me give you a little round of applause. <laughs> so let's, let's let's start off. Um, how long have you been writing? Ooh, well, this goes all the way back. Um, let me bring it back a couple of decades. I wrote my first book when I was 18 years old. I actually completed a manuscript um, then, and at the time. As far as urban novels, you know, those were, you know, really starting to blow up back then. So I read a few of them. I was like, well, I have, I can write something like this, you know. So I made up a story um, regarding a girl and her friends and, you know, about their, you know, some of their questionable decisions. I named it Looking for Mr. Potential. And I, once I finished the manuscript, I set it aside. And I didn't publish it, you know, until 2000. So I wrote it in 95, but did not actually self-publish it until 2000. You know, and then once I published it, I was like, oh, great, I have a book. And then I just let it go. (laughs) And then I did not pick up, start writing again, technically, until last year. Um, Although um, I had the concept for Rude Boy USA series for a few years now, I didn't actually pick up, you know, um, open a laptop and start typing again until last year. Okay, so at what point did you say, do you know what, I'm going to publish a book? I mean, when did that um, hit you? Well, the first time it was because, you know, it's just something that I wanted to do and say, hey, I'm a writer, I have a book out, you know, and that's why I was young and just didn't know the the full – you know, dynamic of being an author and publishing and all of that. The second time, I just decided I wanted to write, but, you know, there was such a big gap in between um, my writing is because I felt like I needed to live a little. So when I finally come up with a concept, you know, that I was very proud of it, and I was like, oh, this sounds like it's something really good. It's like now I'm motivated. I want to put this on paper. This needs to be out. So, you know, that, that urge to write came back once I've got all of my ideas in order. Okay. And see, and I can only imagine, kind of like with me, um, the radio show thing was just something on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go online. I'm going to do a show and just crossed that off my list. But then after I did it and I started getting support, uh, 
and listeners, and now it's been almost six years, and I'm still doing it. And it, yeah. it kind of became real, real to me after that first episode. So for you, when you started the Rude Boy USA series, um, I mean, what was the feeling like knowing you were going to be a published author and that, hey, this is really happening. I'm putting myself out there. I'm putting my work out there. Well, really, it, I didn't really get that feeling, even though after, after I published it, you know, I was still considered new. So I didn't really start getting that feeling until about three, four months ago where when it started to pick up, it was getting traction. People were noticing the story. And, you know, and I got an award fairly quickly, after, you know, which surprised me. And that's why I started feeling. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, this is not just a little project that I've done. This is real. You know, it's the right. story has gotten some recognition. So things didn't start picking up until about May, you know, and, and then it, it's taken off since then. You know, I've, you know, done a lot of interviews and I won a second award for it, you know, which was both were totally unexpected considering how young the book is. So it it just now it's starting to feel real, and you know there are more things happening now, and 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 I guess I'm I'm a little slow to pick up on you know, you know on the excitement of things, but you know now you know nine months later I'm feeling like wow this is the real deal. People are paying attention to my writing. Absolutely. Now I know you won the 2016 Pacific Book Award for. Crime fiction, so congratulations for that. What was the other other award? Oh, I um, won a reader's favorite um, book award, which is a pretty big one because that's international. So the books are I'm competing right. against books all over the world, and I won in a in the drama category, you know, with two other you know books, and um, that's shocking to me because I knew, you know, the fact that the content of this book, it's it's. It's about mobsters. It's very controversial. You know, there are a lot of elements in there that yeah. have people talking. And I knew that there was some discussion regarding this story. And I was like, well, if they like it, they like it. If they don't, you know, I'm still proud of it. So the fact that it it, it got a medal, it placed, it's, it's very, you know, surprising. It's shocking to me. It's surprising. You know, I'm very happy about it. You know, that that's probably the biggest one. I didn't submit it to a bunch of awards, and, you know, right now I kind of wish I did. But, yeah, yeah definitely. You might have racked up. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. Anytime you're recognized for your, your hard work and your passion, that has to be a really good feeling. And, and like you said, um, the book is still relatively young, and people have already taken notice. I know that just has to make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It does. It, it does because when I wrote it, I knew like the storyline was risky, and I knew a lot of the elements that it took to put the storyline together. I was taking a risk, you know, of backlash or you know, questionable, yeah. you know, things with it. I was like, well, you know, if if it doesn't feel like I'm taking a big leap, then maybe I shouldn't be doing it. So I just, you know, just went for it and. And going forward, I guess it's starting to pay off, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, as you should be, definitely. And so let's talk about the, the first book, Rude Boy USA. It was the first book in your in the trilogy. 
Can you tell the uh-huh. listeners a little bit about the book? I mean, I know you mentioned the mob, mob element earlier, but can you tell the listeners a little bit about the book? Well, Rude Boy USA is about a group of multicultural mobsters um, set in New York City starting in the year 1969. So the first book uh, covers basically a stepping, no, I say a six-year period. And then other two books go, you know, in a different decade, babies and nights. But the first one is basically setting the whole scene up for, you know, the other two. You get, you're introduced to these four guys who are um, basically the heads of the Chimera group. Um, three of them are under a fourth man who is the boss. His name is Bernard Rodos. He's half Greek and half Jew, and he's basically a self made man um, who starts um, his own company, which is a shell company. And uh-huh. behind the scenes, they are basically doing mob ac- activities to, you know, stay afloat and to bring in money. Um, Bernie, um, in which, and just to branch off a little bit, I am working on the fourth book, which will be based off of Bernie who um, started off himself, you know, doing quite, you know, learned his way of, you know, running a mob business because he helped mob people back then. And he brings in these guys, you know, the first guy, you know, is a friend of his, his friend, you know, family. He brings them in, he trains them up, and, and then he becomes the associate. His name is John. He's basically the underboss of this group. And John mm-hmm. is over two other guys, um, Ben, who is a, um, a Vietnam veteran and and who has a lot of issues. And, uh, you know, he's Italian. And, by the way, John is um, biracial in this story. And John brings in another guy. His name is Jerome. You know, of course, he's black from Harlem. You know, he's, I would say, I wouldn't say a frat boy, but he's young. And he's open to doing things. You know, he's the one who kind of rebels against his parents because Mm -hmm. they're so strict. They want him to grow up, you know, to be a certain way. And, of course, you know, back then those types of values were emphasized because of, you know, what, you know, was going on with the um, social climate back then. So these four guys, you know, that, you know, this group that Bernie puts together, they're out there. They're bringing in millions of dollars. They're maintaining the company, but, you know, the issue is that because they are not um, traditional in New York, um, in the New York mafia scene, which is basically made of Sicilians and Italians and, and maybe some Irish on the side, you know, they stick out. So, of course, you know, that they're making ground there, it's bringing trouble to them. You know, they're considered competition, and out of the, you know, the ordinary. So they're a target. And, you know, as they're, you know, basically building their business and their brand and everything in New York City, um, along the way, um, a woman ends up working for them, and she is a relative of Jerome, the cousin of Jerome. And she gets in there because, you know, she she gets involved with another member of the group, and I don't want to, like, give too much away. But she ends up there because, of, you know, things went wrong. So this group of four guys and then plus a girl, 
makes the Chimera group and basically the, the start of the story. Okay, I mean, and it's not a typical mob story that a lot of people may be used to, to reading about. Like you said, um, um, you have a bunch of people of different ethnicities um, as mm -hmm. opposed to the usual, you know, Sicilian family or something like that. Uh, was that your plan going in to kind of mix it up a little bit and be a little diverse or is it just something that just kind of unfolded as you went? I wanted it to be diverse. Um, I got the idea from actually a band. Um, there's a band called The Specials, and they are a group based in the United Kingdom. Uh, they sing um, ska and punk. And, you know, they, they've pretty much successfully remade a lot of the original ska music that came from Jamaica. And The Specials are... You know, they, they're black members and white members, which, is you know, you don't, and they're all front members. So it's not a lot, something that you didn't see a lot of. So when I went to one of their concerts a few years ago, I watched them, and they have a song called Gangsters. And while looking at that, I was like, yep, that's it. That's a concept. That's a story. I can come up with something just based off, you know, the fact that, here's these black and white guys, and they're singing about gangsters. I was like, oh, well, let's make some black and, you know, mix gangsters. And that's how the idea of Ruboy USA began years ago. And then it just, you know, within the past few years, I, you know, I've been toying with, you know, concepts, you know, um, story format, you know, characters, building, you know, character profiles for everyone. So that's how that came about. Okay. And um, the special, isn't that like an 80s group? Yeah. Well, they've been around since 79. And they're okay. actually still, they're still touring as we speak. Really? So, yeah. You see, so, that's like I mean, monsters and everything. Yeah. With the fedoras. And... Oh, my I goodness. Mean, you, you blew the dust off of that one. I haven't. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm familiar with the group. Yeah. Okay, okay. Haven't heard of them in quite some time. All right. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, I think the diversity really makes it interesting. It's not your traditional, not to say that it wouldn't have been any good with with a traditional cast, but I think it kind of, um, it definitely piqued my interest a lot more to learn that the cast was diverse. diverse. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And so you well, start things. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, I was going to just add to what you just said. Um, we basically are used to seeing a lot of these types of stories with a a one-dimensional cast, you know. And what a lot of people don't realize is back then, you know, not only were there Italian mobsters, Sicilian mobsters, Irish mobsters, you know, there were a lot other. I mean, there were Asian mobster groups. I mean, there were black mobster groups, Hispanic. It's just, the thing is, we just didn't hear about them. You know, it wasn't, you know, glamorized. It wasn't, you know, romanticized as the, you know, Italian groups were. You know, it wasn't made into something that was fabulous. You know, if right. anything, they got a different, you know, they were just renamed, you know, gangs or thugs. 
you know, yeah. but a lot of them did the same things. And I'm just, I want to introduce the public, you know, into another, you know, section of that life that they may not have known a whole lot of. So I think that this was probably the best way to do it because even a lot of these Italian mobsters, they hired, you know, the the people, you know, who did their dirty work. A lot of them were diverse, which a lot of people didn't know. So I just felt like this is probably something that can introduce the public to another, you know, version or another facet of that life. And I think that's great because when I think of some of the movies that I've seen, um, yeah, you may see um, people of different ethnicities, but they're kind of like, like you said, they're kind of the lesser um, rank. You know, they're not necessarily called mobs. Like you said, they're called gangs or something like that. So um, I think I think it is great that you kind of elevated things a little bit and allow people to see, you know, a different side. So, um, so you had Rude Boys to start things out. Um, how long did it take for you to put Bunny Wine on the market? And can you explain the title for those who may not understand? <laughs> okay, well, um, Bunny Wine actually came about five months after Rude Boy USA, and I had started Bunny Wine even before Rude Boy USA was published. Um, and Bunny Wine, the title, the title is Tongue in Cheek. You know, I'm just going to be very honest. It's a bit risque. And Bunny Wine is a metaphor for um, um, basically the, 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 the mood and the theme of the book. What Bunny Wine is, it's it's a wine that one of the characters, John, comes up with. And I'm not going to spoil you how he gets it because right. it's, it's kind of, said, that's probably where the risque part comes in. Um, but, you know, basically, although it does represent that, it's also a metaphor for, you know, basically what happens, you know, what transitions in the book. And basically, bunny wine is, I guess, what happens in the era after the mobsters, you know, blow up. Like, back in the 1980s, in New York City, at least, there was this, the beginning of the end, I would say, for the uh, mobster culture, and we had law enforcement that were enforcing these um, the RICO laws, the racketeering laws that, you know, mm-hmm. the feds had passed. And it's Bunny Wine is covering the point where these guys, you know, who were so successful in trying to build up, you know, their image, things start to implode. And the climate of the whole, you know, mob scene is changing. And it's all 80s, 1980s theme as opposed to Rude Boy being 70s. You know, now, you know, times are changing. So basically the book right. is the book series is moving in real time. Okay. That's pretty cool. And uh, mm-hmm. when you were talking about the bunny wine and risque part, I can't see your face, but I can tell you were blushing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I, when people, people have read it and they have come to me like, I can't believe you, you know, you just drove <laughs> that. But, you know, so that it's, it's, you know, hey. <laughs> All right. So now the tide is high is the latest of the trilogy. Um, yeah. And I know you mentioned something about a, a, a fourth book. So we, we know this is not the end. Um, 
But when was that released? Or if I'm not mistaken, that was recently released, right? Yeah, about a week and a half ago. Uh, the Titus High is is basically, you know, of course, um, after Bunny Wine, and it's the aftermath of what happens in Bunny Wine, and the story once again transitions. You know, it. You know, when you think about mobsters and the life of a mobster, you would notice if you follow closely. Although they may have started their careers doing organized crime, you know, how many people do you know have retirement parties? You know, oh, you've been mobstering for 60 years. You know, that just doesn't happen. So what a lot of them do is they branch out. Um, They go into businesses, you know, like a lot of them run restaurants, you know, or other businesses, or sometimes they transition into politics. And that's what the tide is high is, you know, like they are now, you know, the characters are now transitioning, you know, you know, the aftermath of everything that's happened up to that point. Now, you know, you have to think about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And these characters have chosen politics, you know, so it's basically (laughs) a politically driven, you know, same characters and a lot of the same issues. But right. now, you know, politics is, you know, playing into it. And the public will be kind of surprised how closely a lot of these politicians and the way they operate resemble, you know, mobsters or organized crime, how they operate, how they deal with people. There are a lot of similarities there. And I think the tide is high pretty much, you know, explores that, you know, it introduces the public to that. Okay. All right. So let me let me pick your brain on something a little bit because you mentioned the very first book um you had looking for Mr. Potential um mm-hmm. that you released in 2000 and the when I go to your website um at uh, authorvictoriabolton.wordpress.com and mm-hmm. I look at your about me page and I see your picture I'm like, okay, this is a beautiful young lady. I see the looking for Mr. Potential, but organized crime. I mean, you know, what inspired you to take the organized crime report? I mean, crime to writing, because it's like a lot of times we, especially when it comes to um, different ethnicities, we get kind of, I don't want to say typecasted, but people expect certain products from us, and you're giving people something totally unexpected. Uh-huh. Well, until I actually, you know, the idea came into my head, I never thought in a million years I would be writing about organized crime. But when I got the idea, I still didn't know very much about it. So that's where the gap between when I started back in 2010, you know, with the idea, and when I actually started typing this last uh-huh. year, it took years of research and interviews and re- watching videos and old newscasts and you know just 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 you know looking up things on the online to say okay this is i like what's going on here and you know i've learned so much so organized crime really wasn't the original plan, but it ended up that way. You know, the more I looked into it, the more interesting it got. And it's like, well, I can cannot write about this at this point because there's just too much going on. It's too much that's interesting. 
you know, I've never, I grew up in Chicago, you know, on the south side at, you know, half in Inglewood and half in Roseland. And I grew up in gang territory. But it was something yeah. that was the farthest away from what I was, what, you know, my personality is. And I used right. to hide from them. So me writing about gangsters at this point in my life is even a surprise to me. But I thought there was just too much interesting things going on to not do it, you know, the further I got into it. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, when I was a senior in high school, my senior paper was about the mafia. And so oh, I had wow. an interest growing up as well. And when I saw the nature of your books, and I interview a lot of people, um, I've interviewed a lot of authors, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I kind of have to buy this book because I, I have to see her perspective on, you know, the mob and everything. So I, I'm definitely going to um, start off with the Rude Boy USA and, and, you know, eventually work my way through the books because it really looks interesting. And, um yeah. Could this trilogy actually hit the big screen someday? You know, could it translate into a movie or something for for television? Well, not to give anything away entirely too early, but uh-uh. I will I I will say that it's at the very beginning stages. You know, um, it's you know when you're translating a book into a screen, you know, a lot of people you know think, oh, oh wow, here's a book that I read now it's going to be a movie. It's a lot that goes into it and. You know, translating something like Rude Boy USA in, that has so much in the book, you know, when you're trying to convert it into, like, you know, the big screen, you know, uh-huh. there's a lot of changes that has to happen. You know, of course, you got to trim a lot down. So right. right now I'm at the point, you know, working with a writer right now, um, a screenwriter, so it's at the very beginning, um, of pretty much pulling out which um, – themes and concepts from the book that we are going to try to build a script, you know, like a motion picture from, a script from. So it's at the beginning stages, you know, it's like the outline stages, you know, the blueprint stages. But, yeah, something is actively going on as we speak. That is great. And I know, you know, you're not, you know, there's only so much you can say about it right now. But I'm totally taking credit for you making the announcement on this show. So <laughs> yes, actually, you, you know what? You're absolutely right because this is the very first time I'm, I'm bringing this up. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, totally taking the credit. So yeah. when you when you're um, accepting an award one day on that red carpet, I can say, yeah, she she said it here first on the Talk to Q Radio show. Sure so. did. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think it's great that you did the research because um, a lot of times we tend to stay in our comfort zone and we talk about what we know or we write about something we're familiar with um, more so than anything else. And I like your approach that you took something that piqued your interest and went out and decided to learn more and mm-hmm. you are actually successful at it. So, I mean, I applaud you for that. I think that's great. And yeah. so you're a, you're a self-publisher, all right? At some yeah. point, would you go to a traditional publisher? And if so, do you have a fear that it can affect your creativity by including someone else in the overall process? Well, I, 
Well, when I I first, you know, put together, you know, the outline for this book, I did a lot of soul searching because I knew I had the option of, you know, taking a chance and sending out the publishing. But um, I was very passionate about this storyline and the specific details and the specific happenings in the storyline. And I knew that had I sent out to a traditional publisher, there were certain elements that may not have, you know, would have not made the cut in the Uh final uh, product. And that was something, to be honest, that I wasn't willing to accept. You know, I had a a certain vision for the story and, you know, the way that it was supposed to have been told. Now, um, so I decided to go ahead and self-publish it because I've done it before. You know, and I do realize self-publishing is a lot of work, and it really is a lot of work. You know, you do everything. And, you know, the fact that self-publishing, it just doesn't stop, you know, the the work, the getting it out there doesn't stop, you know, maybe a month after you publish it. It's something that's constant and ongoing. And especially if you're not a big name, but I felt like if this is going to be in book form, I want it to be the way, like the like the director's cut, the way that it was intended, originally right. intended to be before you know, you know, other parties get their hands on it. So, like right. let's say, for example, this is going to film. I fully expect it to be changed around, but you know that's something that's you know going to happen regardless. I figure if the book is out there, then you know, at least you would know how it originally it was supposed to be, you know, before, you know, it, it, it got the bigger treatment. So I felt like I can publish the book myself, get it out there the way it's supposed to, and then if it, you know, goes further, then it's likely to be edited. That's what's expected. So that's why I decided to just go ahead and, you know, do everything myself. I'm not opposed to traditional publishers, but this particular story trilogy, you know, I really wanted it to be presented the way that, you know, that was in my head that's, you know, that's intended it's supposed to be. So, Absolutely. And we've seen a lot of people do that, kind of like with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Game of Thrones. Um, the mm-hmm. You have the, the books, you know, they're done one way in the TV show, maybe a slight variation, but um, people can, are right. able to go and read the books to kind of get, you know, the real deal as far as what the author had in mind. So exactly, um, I understand that completely. And so, all right, my, my radio show is a passion for me because it not only allows me to talk to talented people around the world, such as yourself, but it's also an outlet of expression not just for me, but for my callers. So what does writing do for you? When you put pen to paper, where where does it take you emotionally? Well, okay, I can take it back to the first book. The first time I did it, it was really just something to say that, yeah, I was a writer. You know, it was something that can, you know, show people as an accomplishment, you know, as 18 years old, something like that, you know, just seems bigger. But this time around when I started writing, there were a lot of things going on in my personal life, you know, a lot of family things. And I found the writing and putting this together as cathartic. It, it was something that relaxed me 
So all of the research and everything, you know, that I continued to do as I was writing, it was it served as an ex- escape from, you know, the daily life, you know, challenges. So it's take writing has become something that's very relaxing and something that I can, you know, just, you know, do, you know, on my on my pace and you know, something that I can just, you know, go sit alone and do, you know, don't have to, you know, deal with too many people if, you know, if it get times get too stressful. So it's taken on a, a whole different meaning now um, than it did when I started doing this 20 years ago. All right. So what's your process when it comes to writing? Um, do you just sit down and start typing or do you have some elaborate process with that involves lighting candles or something like that? <laughs> you know what? I, I, for one, I won't start writing anything until I have an outline. And then once okay. I do that, I can pretty much type anywhere. But majority, because I started writing actually the first line of Ruboy USA last August, so um, I wrote throughout the winter, which was good because I was able to stay home, sit in my bed in the warm, and type. You know, so it was very relaxing. So I figured if I can be comfortable wherever I'm typing, because I keep a laptop on me, then I can type as long as I'm comfortable and have something to drink. Or And it's somewhere that I, if I get too sleepy, I can just go right to sleep. <laughs> you know, just, you know. Okay. Sounds like it's total relaxation for you then. Yeah. And um, you also um, I, you also do your own illustrations for your books, don't you? I did. I did the covers for all three books, and there's a good reason for that. You know, when I tell when people ask me about advice on self publishing, I, I the things that I do tell them is one, get an editor, and I also do realize that you know. No editor is perfect, but, you know, it's it's always wise to get an editor and a cover illustrator, which is something I didn't do. So I know I'm giving that type of advice, although I didn't follow it for this one. But the reason for that was I had, like I said before, I had a specific direction that I wanted this book series to go. And since the time were the 70s, 80s, and the latest early 90s, I wanted the book covers to reflect the look of books that came out back then. So the look of books back then were not the high-quality stock images that, you know, you see a lot of today. It was more art-oriented and, you know, theme-oriented. So I figured, well, uh-huh. it would be hard for me to explain bunny wine you know, to somebody and they'll be able to come up with a picture of that I figured, well, the only way I'm going to be able to express the way, you know, how I have, you know, visualized it in my head is to actually do it myself. I've been drawing and doing things since I was little. So I have some background in art and art concepts. So I figured, well, I can do this, you know. And believe it or not, it took longer for me to come up with the concepts of the covers than it did for me to actually type this book, these books up. Wow. Well, the covers look great, so you did a great job. Thank you. All right, a few more questions, and we'll get you out of here. Um, What's next for Miss Victoria Bolton? Well, besides um, 
the fourth book, which will actually serve as a prequel to Rude Boy USA. It, it's ah. going yeah, to be the Yeah, it's going to, and 60s and earlier, actually, and it's going to cover up to the point of the beginning of Rude Boy USA, so the reader is pretty much going to learn how all of this came about, which I think is is a great um, story there. So that would be started within the next month or so, actually typing it out, but I don't have plans to release that until sometime next year. And you know, only because the Reboy USA, there are other things going on with that, which will require a lot of my time, you know, to see how far that um, this story can go, whether or not the ultimate goal, you know, some few years down the line is to get it on a big screen. We don't, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen, but at least, you know, the process has started. So it's a lot of work with that. And plus, you know, I work, I have a regular job full time. So yes. it's just a matter of dividing my time to get all of these things done. But yeah, I'm working on the book four of this series. Although originally it wasn't supposed to go past book one, but the story <laughs> is too big for it, you know, to be contained. So that's what's going on. Hey, see, that's just how it happens. <laughs> Yeah, that's just how it happens. I understand. It's like once you do something and you kind of get a passion for it, and people throw their support behind you, the next thing yeah. you know, you have a whole library. So, I I went from doing one talk show, you know, and scratching that off my bucket list, and now this is episode like six hundred and thirty-eight or something like that. So, uh, wow, I, I understand how you can be fueled by you know, support and as far as the, the actual passion of what you do. But aside from writing, what do you do for enjoyment when you're not writing? Oh, my goodness. I, you know, believe it or not, I, I love sports. I can't throw a ball or do anything to save my life. But I do enjoy watching sports. You know, I love football. I love watching NFL football. I love watching NBA. Right. I like basketball. I like watching it. I'm going to a game right after this interview, believe it or not. Um, but, you know, I enjoy sports. You know, I enjoy, you know, art. I, you know, in creating things. I'm very arts and crafty. So I make a lot of things and it's been like that since I was little. Um, and, and just friends, just relaxing, you know. it's My life has been so hectic in the last, I say, 22 years. <laughs> Is that, you know, even, you know, relaxation is starting to feel like an um, <laughs> enjoyment. Okay. And um, do, you, do you have family or? or well, no, or, I have, believe it or not, I, I'm single. I You're am not single? dating anybody right Yes, I am. I'm not dating anybody right now. Um, maybe, and hey, I fear, I fear, I figure that. Maybe when it's supposed to happen, it will happen. And I know, like, for the past few years, I've been so busy. And maybe, you know, I have to make more time for that. Yeah. But, you know, so right now, yeah, I'm I'm very single. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As far as um, siblings, you have brothers, sisters? I have a lot of half-siblings, you know. Shout out to them. Um, A lot of half-siblings. Um, but as far as me, 
I, I, as far as growing up, I grew up as an only child, you know, before, you know, I, you know, discovered my, my brand new siblings and things. So. Okay. And that's why I was asking. I was just curious to your background to see if that contributed to you um, being as creative as you are. So. Oh, I grew up a pretty lonely child. <laughs> you know, I can say that in oh. But when you you know, when you grow up as an only child, you kinda learn how to entertain yourself. And you kinda learn how to keep busy. Yeah. So that's how all of this creative stuff came out of me because it's like, you know, what what else am I gonna do besides look at T V and at the wall, I gotta learn to do something. You know, 'cause I don't have any you know, I I don't have any other kids, you know, in the household. Okay. Okay. All right, so um, where can people get your books, and how can they find you on social media? Okay, well, my books are available on, um, i say the majority of online retailers, such as Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, iBooks, Books a Million, um, IndieBound, and other ones, you know, that, that carry um, the, um, I would say, the e-books. So all of those online retailers, and you can also go to a Barnes and Nobles and order it. I mean, if you can't find it, you know they can definitely stock it there, so you can get it there also. Okay, that is great. I think I'm going to go to Amazon for mine, and that way it can be waiting on me when I get home. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually on vacation right now in Houston, and so. Nice. By the time I get there, it'll be waiting on me, and I can take a look at that first one. And, uh, oh, one last question. When you did Looking for Mr. Potential, you did that under a pen name. Where did the pen name come from? Well, here's the thing. That is actually my birth name. Um, oh. um, my, my, my name is Victoria Lakita Bolton, but when I published Potential, it was only under Lakita Bolton. Lakita T. Bolter. Yeah. What's the T? Oh, it's a long name. <laughs> and I don't even use it anymore. I don't even use it anymore. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll stop crying. I'll stop crying once I get <laughs> once I get going. And uh, like I say, your 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 story is interesting. Your background is interesting, and um, the books same right there really uh I'm going to be a great read and I can't wait to get my hands on it. And but I uh, appreciate you taking the time to do the show. It's a, been a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's been a pleasure talking to you too. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and um to the listeners out there I will make sure that all the links to um where you can buy her books, her website um, author Victoria Bolton dot WordPress dot com, and um, you can catch her on Twitter at Bunny underscore Celia. I'll put all that information on my website on the show page, so you can have access and be able to keep up with Miss Bolton and uh, get caught up on the books and maybe be ready in time for that fourth one. And what's it called after a trilogy? What is a quadru? Quadru? I don't know. Anyway, that's um, a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll figure it out by the time it comes out because I have no idea. But uh, again, I want to thank her for taking the time to join 
This Q11 podcast of the South Q Radio Show. And the show airs live every Tuesday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And, you know, my podcast will drop just about any time. So if you want to keep up with all of that, you can go to talktoq.com, sign up for my email newsletter. So that way you'll know when the podcast will come out and what's coming up with upcoming shows. So I want to thank everyone for listening. I hope you have a good day. Peace out.